Hello and welcome to the Plus One to Intelligence podcast. My name is Sim. And I'm Noah. And today we'll be exploring character development and why you would give certain characters different weapons. So I'm thinking specifically like the Jedi, right? They use blue lightsabers versus the Sith. They're using red lightsabers. What's the significance of that? Is there anything more to it? Is it better to give a hero character a sword or a lance or like, what's the deal here? I think we should start with lightsabers because it's the most obvious. What do we think about lightsabers? I mean, we've got blue, green, and just for Mace Windu, purple. That's right. And that was an interesting special request because the <laughs> lightsabers at the time only came in the three colors. You know, yeah. Blue, green, and red. Yep. I think Obi-Wan has a very good like influence on what a Jedi is and what he's supposed to be. He's a very like diplomatic, polite, gentlemanly sort of dude. And I feel like he encapsulates what a wielder of a sword should be. Absolutely, yeah. When he says the lightsaber is a it's an elegant weapon for a more civilized age, I think he perfectly encapsulates that. So I think the Phantom Menace is a perfect example of using a character's weapon to show something about their character that you need the audience to know, but you don't want to just come right out and have somebody say that line. We see Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon with their green and blue single-bladed lightsabers. They go on a peaceful diplomatic mission, which is what the Jedi are for. They end up having to use their lightsabers to get out of there, which is, okay, fine. If you're a peacekeeper, you're going to be dealing with people who are in war, and you're going to get caught up in the conflict, so bring a weapon. But they, they bring the most civilized, understated weapon they can right like you don't even really realize that they have weapons on them per se until they're taking them off their belt from underneath their robes versus darth maul this crazy guy comes out with a double-bladed lightsaber something that we haven't seen in star wars until now and it's red i think what audiences felt when they saw him ignite the second blade for the first time in that duel is always going to be an iconic moment because it tells us something about his character that was never said before. Like, we know that he's a Sith. He's there to kill people and be a bad guy. But then you see this double-bladed lightsaber, and it's, like, it's obviously a lightsaber that's there to be deadlier than all other lightsabers. Like, it's a weapon designed to kill, which you can say all weapons are, but... There's an aspect of a weapon that's also a symbol, symbolizing that this weapon is here to kill versus this is a diplomat. So a single-bladed, light-colored, you know, blue or green lightsaber versus a double-bladed red lightsaber. Like, that's important to the story, and we all we have to do is see it to know that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jedi are supposed to be keepers of peace, not warriors. Yep. And I feel like the double-bladed sword and his combat style is definitely warrior, not keeper of peace. Yeah, it, his character is immediately clarified. And we haven't said anything about him yet. All we see are like some horns, black robes, this cool looking Sith battleship. And then he comes swinging at us with a double bladed lightsaber and kills a Jedi. And it's, it's very impactful. I think General Grievous is another amazing example of this, right? He's a cyborg general. So cool factor is kind of already written into just how is he alive and he just looks scary, right? But then you learn that he fights the Jedi with four arms, so four blades all at once, and all of his lightsabers are taken from Jedi that he's killed. It's like the ultimate reversal. Like, you take this peaceful weapon. I don't know if that's a oxymoron or not, but... <laughs> uh, you take the weapon of, a, of, like, a peacekeeper, a protector of peace. Yeah, yeah, and then you turn it into something that's meant to inspire fear and, and destroy, right? And so here he comes, the big bad General Grievous, and... He's here to mess you up. 
same vibe, completely different style. Uh, I think what's most interesting is that like the most powerful characters, um, I'm thinking Darth Sidious and Darth Vader specifically, actually do still use single-bladed red lightsabers, which is interesting to me because we all know that they're the big bad, but they don't have to use this intimidating weapon to represent that. I, I think in Darth Vader's case, it's because he's got the, the suit, right? The breathing. Every time he enters a room, there's like a presence that comes with him, the way his soldiers react to him, his helmet. Yeah, he's just an imposing character, even without giving him some sort of crazy weapon. And then Darth Sidious isn't. He's like a frail old man, right? And I think that's important because what does he do? He turns the Republic against the Confederacy. He fights a war against himself, and he claims all power in the Star Wars universe before anybody figures out that he's a villain. And so it's actually pretty important for his character to be as understated as possible. And why we, like, we realize how evil and powerful he is only after it's revealed to us, and we're like, oh crap. And you never needed, like a lightsaber his character is made in through his actions and what he's able to accomplish and not so much his his weapon although i i should say darth sidious is one of the first sith that we see using actually is he i don't think he is i think dooku is the first to use sith lightning isn't he count dooku yeah episode episode two right yeah i believe so but but i think no no because darth sidious uses it in the original trilogy yeah so that okay it depends on if you're watching order or if you're watching in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, so uh, that technically release. technically comes first. Darth, Darth Sidious uses this very powerful force weapon, this Sith Lightning. And you kind of understand the power behind his character and how evil he is because he's using this force power that nobody else has used. And you don't even need a lightsaber to do that. I, I actually personally think that lightsabers are overused in Star Wars, especially... Like in the original trilogy, how many people wield lightsabers? There's like, so Luke and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and then on the bad guy's side you have Darth Vader, and in the very last episode you have uh, you have Darth Sidious. And that's it. Like there's not a lot of lightsabers running around. And it's pretty obvious that it's a weapon that takes incredible skill. It's complex. Like no, there's no lightsaber factory just pumping out lightsabers for anybody to grab, right? And so it's like a it's a passing a test to be able to even build this weapon. It's like if you had a knight in the Middle Ages and to become a knight, he had to forge his own sword, right? Like blacksmithing on itself is an incredibly complex skill, and so now you have this warrior that can build his own. It shows the Jedi's connection to the Force when they can build a lightsaber like that, and it's super meaningful. And then the prequels come along. And dude, they're just handing lightsabers to little kids, right? Like, so you mentioned Mace Windu with his purple lightsaber. The reason he wanted that lightsaber was not only so that it would look cool, but so that he could see himself on the screen. Because in the Battle of Genosius, there's like a hundred freaking Jedi running around with blue and green lightsabers, and they all look the same. And and the shots are so wide. It's like... <laughs> all Jedi rogues, all that tan and dark brown color. I mean, it's, yeah. it's very traditional Jedi, but... I, I think that he definitely is onto something there. With oh, yeah. Him, like that unique color. Like watching the movie, how are you going to find yourself in that crowd? And so Samuel I mean, Jackson comes in and he's like, give me a purple lightsaber and all that crap, the mess of green and blue, you'll see me with the purple and it'll be awesome. Right. So he's got this purple lightsaber. It makes him stand out in a crowd. And you have to have that in the prequels because everybody and their mother has a lightsaber. Even I think it undercuts Yoda. Like, Yoda is, he's brought to us as this wise old Jedi 
who's very powerful in the Force. He gives a lot of wisdom and stuff. In the original trilogy, he doesn't use a lightsaber. I think that's because of his, like, the code he gave himself when he went into exile. I'm not sure, I'd have to look that up. But yeah, you don't see Yoda use a lightsaber. Obviously, he trains Luke, but he doesn't use one himself. And it, it gives him this image of, like, the powerful old sage that has transcended the need for weapons, almost. Which is cool when you have, you know, the ability to move things with your mind. It's like, yeah, this guy's got crazy skills. But then, of course, even Yoda, the tiny little green frog, has to have his own tiny little lightsaber. And, I mean, it's a cool fight, him and Palpatine. But I think the Force side of that fight is almost more interesting than the fact that you have Yoda flipping all over the room with his tiny little lightsaber going to town on Sidious. Absolutely. The Force is a very influential influential in the combat there. And, I mean, Yoda has one of the highest midichlorian measurements of, like, any Jedi. Oh, uh, dude, I think the midichlorians are stupid. <laughs> uh, this, is how much, this is how much force connection you have in your blood. Yeah, it's, in your it's blood. It's an interesting, like, it's definitely an interesting way to, like, measure the characters. Um, he's only beat out by um, Anakin, yeah, who ends up Anakin, being Darth right? Vader. Yeah, Anakin Skywalker. Hmm. I, think it's, uh, I think it's an interesting way to look at it. I think there's a lot of things about the Star Wars movie that it just really wasn't intended to be, like, a lot more than it was to begin with and then yeah. trying to build off without completely changing the universe has been difficult that's because they created such yeah. like a strong presence in like the first trilogy oh yeah and then the prequels it was i think very difficult to work around what they had already created and i feel like the fact that J that yoda was one of the few surviving jedis in general as long as so as far as he did especially after the battle of geonosis and then the, the turning of the senate against the jedi I think it's definitely in, like that. It's important. He's he is one of the few who is strong enough and wise enough to be able to escape. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't do it by cutting his way through everybody. I mean, obviously he did do some of that as well. But like, he hit on a planet, meditated, and waited until the next Jedi would come to him to train and bring hope back to the galaxy. That's it's a much more important part of his character than in the prequels and in the original trilogy. It's like he acts silly on purpose when we're introduced to him trains luke he lifts the starship out of the swamp and when luke fails like powerful character there and then it's just like give him a lightsaber and have him flip around like crazy and it'll be super cool i think it's cool that we got to see another side of it like that high energy absolutely lethal combat oh yeah even in the lego games like playing around as him he's just doing all sorts of crazy moves jumping around real fast like the fastest way to move as yoda is always to have your lightsaber out you try to walk around with it in he's just like hobbling around along with his little cane at like slow walk speed and you're like okay all right combat <laughs> mode yeah it is <laughs> yep <laughs> coming in hot always <laughs> so yoda what other influential light lightsaber wielders can we think of obi-wan is by far my favorite jedi um, oh yeah i think that his presence throughout the entire the entire show um just his influence and kind of i feel like he really embodies what it is to be a jedi he's really like the marker that they use and and they compare anakin to him there's a reason that he is he's a main character in in the prequels and then he's a very strong influential character in the clone wars as well very like handsome, polite, cunning, intelligent guy. Very dedicated to like the actual cause and not his own personal gain. Very focused on what the Jedi's order is intended to do, not what it's being used for. I think he's one of the few people who really sees clearly through what's going on, even with uh, Chancellor Palpatine taking over the Senate. 
Are you saying that Obi-Wan sees through the lies of the Jedi? Maybe even before Anakin does? I'm thinking that <laughs> perhaps Anakin... Yeah, I think Anakin... Um, he may have been led to start seeing through the lies of the Jedi by Obi-Wan. You know, I think you're right. I think Obi-Wan saw the lies of the Jedi, and I'm using air quotes here because I don't know that it was all lies, but he saw what the Jedi's intention was, and he knew that it could be used for good, and that's what he always fought for. Anakin saw the lies of the Jedi, quote-unquote, as, oh, we're just causing all this harm in the galaxy. It's better if we destroy the Jedi and move on with somebody who can really take care of things in charge. Then you bring in the Sith, Palpatine, you put Anakin in charge instead of the Jedi Council, and, and that's how Anakin solves that. Obi-Wan saw a flawed system, but he saw what could be done with that system. Because there really is quite a bit of power in the Jedi Council. You have all these Force-sensitive people who are able to go in and be influential in the arenas that they are brought into. And, and be the keepers of peace that people needed them to be. Episode 1 is a good example of this, actually, surprisingly. So we see this with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn. They go to the, the Separatists, who are establishing this trade blockade around Naboo, and they go in to barter for peace for Naboo in a situation where they know it's pretty dangerous. And, I mean, right away, the Jedi are... They attempt to assassinate the Jedi, and so they have to escape, and it's this whole thing. They find out that the real intention the whole time was war with Naboo, take it over for the, the trade, trade Separatists. And so you need the Jedi to do jobs like that around the galaxy. And I think Qui-Gon and... Obi-Wan were perfect, because I think both of them, to some extent, were willing to put off the letter of the law in the Jedi Code to do a better job. Qui-Gon Jinn uses the Force to change the role of the die in the game with Watto to buy Anakin's freedom, right? Is that a Jedi thing to do? Probably not. But is it for the greater good? Maybe. I think, yeah, I think that's a very interesting scene, and there is a couple ways that that could be argued. I think he did the right thing. But does the code always allow them to do the right thing? I mean, that's kind of the, the yeah. moral and ethical question we, we end up going against a lot of times. Policies are written in, in ways that don't anticipate unusual circumstances. And when you do see uh, something that, like, you know there's a better way to do it, but the letter of the law doesn't allow for that, I think it's something that you just need to do and then argue that the law was preventing the greater good from happening. You have to interpret the law as intended and not the law as written occasionally. Absolutely. I think that's incredibly important as as far as the Jedi code goes. Because then you see stuff like Grey Jedi, which are Jedi in that they still want peace for the galaxy around them. But they're much more willing to fight for it, I think, and are much less stringent in their code of laws. So some people say that Qui-Gon Jinn was actually a Grey Jedi and probably shouldn't have been in the Jedi Order proper because of how he acted. Um, I mean... That, that could be an interesting, fair argument, because Qui-Gon influenced Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan mm -hmm. influenced or didn't influence Anakin to a certain degree, and that's where we get Darth Vader. Yeah. I think that it was naive of the Jedi to look at this and say that they expected Anakin to be a Jedi. I mean, because they knew that he was supposed to bring balance to the Force, and after, what, thousands of years of there being Jedi and Sith, they thought they'd be able to eliminate the Sith and that would be balance. I mean... It kind of points back to the argument of the yin and the yang, right? Like, yeah. without a strong Sith force wielder, is there a need for Jedi? Or are the Jedi going to become 
a corrupted unit because they have no real enemy to fight. I mean, that's like a level of ultimate power, right? You have the ability to manipulate people's minds, manipulate physical objects, and wield one of the most, if not the most, powerful weapon in the galaxy. I think without a clear purpose and someone to keep that power in check and challenge it occasionally, the Jedi eventually would become corrupt. Even Probably. Even with the best of intentions. And I think we see that within just most... Um, like within most like organizations, right? Without proper challenge over time, things become more abused and more corrupted. The only problem with that is you'd be right if they left Anakin as a Sith, but they don't. The way that balance is brought to the Force is Darth Vader kills Palpatine and then goes back to being a Jedi himself, and then there's balance. Which in its own right is probably fair because the Sith want to enslave kill destroy everything that's good in the galaxy and they bring about the empire to do this and killing palpatine and getting rid of darth vader as as written as a sith does achieve that balance like were the jedi killing and enslaving to make the galaxy what they considered the best possible world you know completely under their foot no they weren't they were actually mostly staying out of things until a huge war broke out and so if you have only jedi and no sith there, it can be argued, I think, that there is balance in the Force because nobody's abusing the Force. But as soon as a Jedi starts abu- abusing the Force, he's not sticking to the code. And, and maybe that's why there is such a strict code, a uh, strict Jedi code specifically. If a Jedi falls and starts abusing his Force powers for his own personal gain or to oppress others, he can't be a Jedi anymore, a defender of peace. He's, uh, he's working for his own own good and so he has to be labeled as something else and i think most of the time it falls into the sith and the sith are pretty overstated i mean like the yellow eyes red lightsabers i want to kill everything in my path but when you have as much power as a jedi does and then you suddenly turn into i need to work for my own good and anybody who thinks differently is going to get cut in half i don't know i think i think the sith and how they're portrayed to us is actually fairly accurate yeah it's symbolic of, of kind of how they what they believe and what they represent. I think it's very interesting that Chancellor Palpatine is so well hidden. I think that that yeah. um, hidden in plain sight, a man of great influence and power, trusted by even the Jedi, he knew what's going on from every angle the whole time. And that was what allowed him to control so much of really what was happening and, and influence it. Just the, the, the sneak factor of, of that operation was, was very interesting and very symbolic of perhaps how evil happens in the world as we see it today. How do we want to relate this back to our listeners at home? Say you're a writer or a dungeon master and you're writing a character and you're going to make him a villain or a hero and you're trying to represent that some way. What are our tips from this episode to do that? I think we definitely talked about like some of the characteristics, the weapons that they use, their personalities and the way that they interact with others. The mm-hmm kind of aura the vibe that they give off absolutely Um, i think probably the most important thing that we talked about was how black and white is the situation when you think of star wars you think of jedi versus the sith as like the main like rebels versus the imperials like that's the black and white story that you see but as soon as you delve into it you see that there are all kinds of shades of gray right so absolutely the trade federation is pitched against the clones and the clone wars and it turns out it was all just palpatine the whole time and then darth maul is kind of a sith after he gets killed but he's he's not he's just kind of a guy a rogue agent you could say working for himself 
well, killed in quotations. He's sliced in half, and yeah. we believe that he's dead. Yeah. I I was convinced he was dead, and then when I heard he came back, I'm like, before like before he was cut in half, like, yeah, that's got to be the story, right? But, right. Nope. Apparently not. Coming back with bionicle legs and some claw stuff going on. Held himself together by sheer force of will. Sheer force of will. Mostly hate, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, so if you're writing a villain, write in Shades of Grey. I would say that a Sith by himself is not always the perfect villain. It's very difficult to sympathize with what a Sith is doing. And part of what makes a compelling villain is showing that maybe what they're doing has some, some real reason that it needs to be done. You know, like, you sympathize with their cause, but not their actions, or something like that. That can make a more compelling villain. But, if you want a black and white story like Star Wars, which is clearly done very well, Jedi vs. the Sith is a pretty good way to go. I mean, just make your character as Dark Lord and red lightsaber as you can. Just go for it. Evil off the wall. I mean, it makes it obvious, at least. I do enjoy a subtle villain. Yeah. Someone who you think you can kind of agree with, and then they do some things to, like, do the ends justify the means, mm-hmm. and how far they willing to go with that. I think the subtlety is good, but there's always going to be a need for the Sith Lords, because sometimes you just have to have an unstoppable evil force that somebody's going to have to step up to plate, deal with that problem. And if that's the case write the complexities into your heroes, right? Like, you have the Rebel Alliance, you have these guys running around with blasters. Without them, you don't have Star Wars, so they're clearly good guys. You have mercenaries working for pay. Sometimes they're good guys, sometimes they're not. And then you have the Jedi, the pinnacles of hope and peace and love and good vibes. You know, right? Like, pinnacles, good vibes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so maybe, maybe your good guys have the gray scale built into them instead of the villain sometimes it's good to have a black backdrop by which you can compare the good or the actions of the heroes um and i think the sith actually do a pretty good job of that it's like at least you're not blowing up planets when you're talking about mandalorians who maybe are much more hardcore than they need to be in a civilized era and then take it another step further well we're actually working for freedom and the good of our families and so now you're talking about rebels and it's like yeah, but you're still sabotaging food lines and you're planting bombs around the city. Like, not the best way to go about things. And then finally, you have the lightsaber-wielding Jedi, the pinnacle of hope, who can go right up to the bad guys, fight them in a one-on-one duel, and after the duel's over, everything's settled, right? It's like, victory has been achieved. Or or not. Um, the Shades of Grey on the light grey side is easier to accomplish when you have a black backdrop, is basically what I'm saying. And I think Star Wars does that pretty good, actually. Absolutely. Oh, well, hey, thank you for joining us again on the Plus One to Intelligence podcast. Yeah, uh, sorry we didn't talk about swords as much as we promised, but here we are. This is how it's going to be, you know? Signing off, my name is Noah. And I'm Sim. And we'll see you next time.